book of Psalms. If you brought your Bible, please open that up to Psalm chapter 8. We didn't, we did not at all coordinate that song, but as we're singing it, I'm thinking, man, what a, what a perfect song to lead into the Psalm that we're going to start off with tonight. Psalm chapter 8. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, grab one from under the seat right there in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you after the service. Psalm chapter 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you have crowned him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas, and he ends as he began, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's interesting, this again is a psalm of David. We talked about the fact that the, the introduction to the psalms are, are an important piece. We are told that it's a psalm of David. That's the, for the choir director on the Gittith, not sure what that is, but the choir director obviously knew at the time. But we look at this in verse four starts off with that. What is man? What is man? And is that interesting that basically kind of where you, what you do with that question really kind of sets the course for a whole lot of other things. You know, the whole, the world around us, you know, that's this constant thing, trying to get rid of God, trying to put him out of the equation. And what is man? And just where that all comes from and where it's all going, they, the world would try to convince us that we all came from, you know, the same pond of goo and, you know, grew into the, you know, whatever else. And we all have the same ancestry somehow as plants and everything, but we just somehow got off track a little bit and got into this amoebas and animals and you know monkeys and everything else eventually here we are and we're we've been so good at it that we're sitting at the top that's what is man we're at the top of all uh, all of this billions of years and all of that and it's just it's just crazy but that's not where david starts when he gets to that point, he's already laid out for, again, look at where he starts. Oh, Lord, our Lord. Now, important little note there. When you see in verse 1, notice Lord repeated twice, but it's two different Hebrew words. Whenever you see Lord in the Old Testament, capitalized every letter like it is there first. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That in Hebrew was just four letter, Y-H-V-H which we call either Yahweh or Jehovah, the fact of the matter is we don't know exactly how it's pronounced. Nobody does. Uh, that was such a secret that they didn't, they, it wasn't passed along. It was, that, that's God's name. And it was so holy, they said it was, we, couldn't even, we couldn't even say it out loud, that his, his name being so holy. But the, the neat part about that is that it is, it, it's the, the Lord said to Moses, right? He, when Moses asked what his name was, he says, I am that I am. 
And we understand that as we move through and we understand who God is, that basically what that says is I am every, or he is everything that I need. He is everything that, that I could possibly need in any given situation. We just sang of that. The Bible gives us several names for him at Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Sitkanu, you know, all of those things. And it means, you know, the different, they have different meanings. He's our banner. He's our shepherd. He's our healer. He is always there. Just this, continue, this idea about how awesome God is and his name that is the first, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. But notice it says, O Lord, our Lord. That is the Hebrew word Adonai. And that means our master. We are his servants. He is our master. Jude chapter 4 says he is our only master and Lord. And Jesus made it very clear. You can't have two masters. You can't have two lords. It's either him or it's something else, someone else, ourselves or something else that is master over us. And Jesus says you can't have two because you'll love one and hate the other. You'll be dedicated to one, but you'll despise the other one. And that's why it's so important that Jesus is, is Lord of our life, that he is sitting on the throne of our heart. David begins there, how majestic is your name in all the earth who have displayed your splendor above the heavens, beyond where we can even imagine. That is where his glory is revealed. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. Those that are opposed to him, those that would speak against him, those that, again, like we're talking about, the, those that would say there is no God and, and push that all down. I love this, the, the, the picture that is here from the mouth, mouths of infants that Jesus actually interprets for us the, the, what the meaning of this is in Matthew 21, 16. He says, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared for yourself praise. And isn't that so neat? I, I can't wait for VBS next week. One of the things that I get so excited about is watching the little kids worship Jesus. They worship with such a passion and, and, a, and a love and an, an excitement. And you know why? Because they believe it. They believe that Jesus died for them. They believe that he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And they worship him with all of their hearts. I love watching kids worship. It challenges me all the time in my own worship. And I just, think, I, I just think that's so awesome. That's what, what we share a lot of times. People can art, try to argue facts with you. You know, they could say, well, you got you Christians, you got this. Yeah, how do you talk, you know, the earth is billions of years old. We have all of this proof and, and all of this other kind of stuff. What they can never argue with is your testimony. And that's what I love. How can you argue with a child that, that just, that is pouring their heart out in love for Jesus? It just silences all of these critics. We'll just leave it there. Verse three, when I hear your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? Just some interesting universe facts. Whenever I read these things, it just, it, it boggles my mind again to think about this. And it comes back to the question, what is man? Our sun, the sun up in the sky, you could fit 1,300,000 of our earths 
in the Son. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but that just is mind-boggling to me. Again, 1,300,000 of our earths could fit in the Son, but that's, that's child's play. There's a star in our galaxy, it's, it's Antares, can fit 64 of our suns inside of it. And there's another star that's called Hercules, and you can fit 110 million, million Antares in that star. And these are just little blips in the solar system. I, I, I looked it up earlier. I didn't write it down. My bad. But how many hundred million light years they say it is now that, our, that they've, they've tried to measure our solar system all the way across the universe? Now, again, to me, that's kind of how in the world can you know that? But anyway, I'm, let's give them the benefit of the doubt that we do know that. That, that. That's big. That's really big. You know what the Bible says how big that is to God? The span of his hand, which is from the thumb to his pinky finger. It's nothing to him. To us, it's just mind-boggling. And when you think of that, you know, how big that is. And Hercules is just a speck. Our, our solar system is just a speck. Hercules a speck. So that means that you and I are just a speck on a speck in a speck. <laughs> just as, how insignificant we are in the thing of the universe. But notice it says that you take thought of him. What is man? Who are you and I, Lord, that when we look at the vastness of this, that it would fit all in the palm of your hand? Who am I? Psalm 139 says this about take his, the thoughts that he takes towards us. It's not just a pass, passing thing. It says, speaking of the vastness of the thoughts that he has towards us, if I should count them, they would outnumber the sand in the entire world. So the thoughts that the Lord has towards you, if you were to count them all up, it would outnumber the grains of sand on the earth. Now that's not David saying that, oh, you know, God really loves me. He thinks about me that much. No, that's God saying that. And I don't know about you, but I think of that, okay, if it's that many thoughts, at least half of them have to be, you idiot, right? No. It says right this before, how precious also are your thoughts toward me. They're precious. They're, they're, they're love, they're good thoughts towards you and I, the speck on a speck in the speck. His mind is always focused on us. The amazing thing about an infinite God is that all those thoughts that are directed toward me have no impact on the thoughts directed toward you. It's not like he, he's really got a focus toward me today, so he's losing some toward you. An infinite God. Now, I don't want you to try to wrap your brain around that too much. You'll get a headache. Just embrace the beauty of it. What is man? What is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him. We're going to come back to that in just a second. Yet you have made him a little lower than God. That word Elohim there 
is it, it, it can be a word for God. It's used for God a lot. It can use be for God, a God, little God. It can be used for uh, heavenly beings, that type of stuff. We're going to take a look at a moment in Hebrews chapter 2 where it's translated angels. And I don't know about you, but it says made a little lower than the angels. The world says we're a little higher than monkeys. I'm, I'm liking what the Bible says about me, that I'm a little lower than an angel. The world says you're a little higher than a monkey. Yeah, that's, that's up to them. And you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Would turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 2, because again, this, is, this helps us again understand the thoughts that the Lord has toward us. Hebrews chapter 2. Beginning in verse 5, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. For he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking, but one has testified somewhere, and we know where, where we just came from, saying, what is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. Here we see, again, the same thing that, it, that, that is recorded for us in Psalm 8. And we're going to see a beautiful, again, how God puts his plan and his design and his thoughts toward us. First of all, man's design. We saw it a little lower than, than God in, in the Psalm, a little lower than angels here. Back in Genesis, all the way back in the beginning, you don't need to turn there. You can later on jot it down if you'd like. Genesis chapter 1. All the way back in the beginning, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. By the way, if anybody ever need proof of anybody that, that, of the Trinity or that, you know, that, take them right here, Genesis chapter one. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Who's he talking to? He can't be talking to the angels. I'll explain that in just a second. We'll see that obviously in just a second. And let, let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then now notice verse 27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So not in the image of angels, in the image of God. We are created in God's own image. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's God's design for man, created in his image. And all of his creation, he says, you rule over the creation. He, for temporarily, he places us, it says, little lower than the angels. One day... It tells us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we will judge angels. We're, that will be changed in the future. We all, the Hebrews tells us that we all have angels watching over us. I mean, that, that, that's important. And I have a few things I want to ask my angel someday. But anyway, that's. But we were given a free will. And then disaster happened. Because we chose poorly. Adam chose poorly. Adam, Adam and Eve, given 
freedom to eat of anything except the fruit from one tree. And we know the story. They, they rebelled. They, they fell into the, the temptation. Eve was deceived by, by Satan to, try, to eat of the fruit. And now it says, but now at, verse, at the end of verse 8 back in, here in Hebrews, um, but now we do not yet see all things subjected to him because in the fall it was handed over to Satan. The, the rule and authority. He's now the prince of the power of the air in the, in the world that is now. Chapter 3 of Genesis. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said you shall not eat it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eye and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave to her husband with her and he ate. So here we see the fall. God created us in his own image, gives rule and dominion of the earth over to mankind. Man forfeits that. But this is why we're here to show again the fulfillment of this because if we read verse 9, notice it says, but we do not see him who was made a little, a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. So we see now these verses that are appointed to us as man now fitting into Jesus, Jesus taking that on. Because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons of glory to perfect the offer of their salvation through sufferings. We have hope because of one man. Sin came into the world through Adam. Salvation comes through Jesus. He had to become man in order to save us. We gave it away. A man had to take it back. Chapter 1 of Hebrews talks about the deity of Jesus. Here we see speaking of the humanity of Jesus. And it's not a 50-50 proposition. Jesus fully God, fully man. And we see him made a little lower than the angels, becoming one of us, placing himself in, in his own creation. We were talking before the service back in the sound booth about the, just the mind-blowing thought that, that the creator of time, the one who exists outside of time, chose to be bound by time, to, to become one of us simply to purchase us back. Verse 14, Therefore, since the, the children share in flesh and blood, that's you and I, he himself also partook of the same. That idea of sharing means that we have this in common, flesh and blood. Partaking of it means he took on a different nature. He became like you and I. So that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. I've used this illustration before. If you've heard it, bear with me. If you haven't, I think it drives the point home again. I, um, we used to have the newcomers' dinners at our house years ago when the church was still meeting in the school. 
And it was probably about this time, kind of we're going to have the last one for the summer. It was really hot already. And at the end, we had chicken and, and potato salad and all that kind of stuff. And I, at the end, put all of, the, all of the garbage into one big hefty trash bag. And it was night, and I threw the trash bag towards our trash can that we had, and I thought I made it. I didn't. It went over the top of the trash can and landed on some bricks behind it, which split the bag open. I didn't know I missed for about three weeks. And when I went over there, the smell was just, I mean, about the most horrific smell I've ever smelled in my life. I mean, just gagging. And I walked over to grab, to grab the bag and put it in. And when I lifted it up, it split open and there were maggots everywhere. Just, you know, you could just see it. I hope you're not getting ready to go eat, but you could just see them. They're just climbing all over. Now, I want you to imagine for a second. Imagine that I was all of a sudden so overcome with love for those maggots. And I realized that the only way that I could save them from certain death was to become one of them. To forfeit this, to, take, to, to set aside my life to become one of those in that stinking, smelling mess, knowing that when I did, they'd kill me. Impossible, right? I mean, that's just that, beyond our comprehension. Let me tell you, the condescending step that it would be for me to become a maggot is a measurable step. The step that Jesus made to become one of us is immeasurable. I say all of that to say, that's how precious you are to him. The thoughts that he has toward you are innumerable. And they are filled with that kind of love. And if he loves you that much, that he would do that for you, don't doubt his love for you and don't doubt his care for you and the situations that you're going through and, and all of that. I go, we go back to our, our psalm. What is man that you take thought of him? And again, I just, I'm blown away by that. When I think of the love that God has towards us, that he would have those thoughts toward us. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. One last thing on that. We saw, you know, again, our, the design that God had for us, the, the disaster that sin brought. We see Jesus as our deliverer, but you know what's, Again, what our destiny is, we're going to rule and reign with him one day. He's going to come. There's going to be a day when he's going to come and he's going to make it all right. The world is going to be a place where there's no more crime. There's no more sin. There's no more. And we're going to rule and reign with him. Who is man? <laughs> Who am I? What an amazing God we serve. Amen. Well, Psalm 9 Psalm 9 and 10 are possibly one psalm initially when they were initially written. We don't know that for sure. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, they are one psalm. There's enough evidence either way that, you know, they're separated in ours, so we'll keep them separated. But um, there's some evidence that they may have been together. Notice for the choir director on the Muthleben, if you're looking for an instrument for your children to play, there's one. 
don't know what it is, but a psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name. Notice here again, O Most High. David always seems to come to that point, right? Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh, most high. That is such a great place to start all the time, recognizing and remembering who God is and where he is. But I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. And the only way that we can give thanks to God with all our heart is to give thanks to God in all things, regardless of what it is. And the Bible teaches us that, right? It's, it's not just the good things that we're to give thanks for. We're to give thanks for the, the difficulties and the trials and the, and the things that we go through, knowing that he's going through them with him and nothing is happening just because. We know that God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes so we can embrace even the trials, even the difficulties and give thanks in the middle of it. I will tell of your wonders or your miracles, the things that you do, again, that just blow my mind. I will be glad and exult in you. Again, regardless of the circumstances, I am going to sing your praises. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. <laughs> no matter what is going on, all we have to do is look up and he is still on the throne. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. For you have maintained my just cause. If you'll remember last time, back in chapter 7, we talked about that. He is saying, my enemies are bringing all of this stuff against me. They're saying all of these things against me. Vindicate me based on my righteousness. Now we're like, whoa, 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 whoa wait a second. We know David's not a righteous man. Neither am I. I don't, want, I don't want my righteousness to be there. But what he's saying is, in this particular situation, I'm innocent. These things that they are saying against me are not true. And he says, you have maintained my just cause. He's not perfect, but he's saying, I'm not guilty here. My enemies that are coming against me. You have sat on the throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins, and you have uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished, but the Lord abides forever. Evil comes and goes. People, the enemies rise and fall, but the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment, and he will judge the world in righteousness. Whose righteousness? His righteousness. He's the ultimate Supreme Court. Doesn't matter what all of these different rulings get passed and all this kind of stuff. He will judge ultimately in ultimate righteousness, his. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity, truth. There, there won't be any injustice. Everyone, there's, there, there's, it's, it's fairly across the board. The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. The Lord is our security. He's our protection. He's our rock. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And he never will. He never will. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. When we place our trust in him, there's no better place to place our trust, to place our situation than in his 
capable, faithful hands. Sing praises to the Lord, verse 11, who dwell in Zion. Declare among the peoples his deeds. For he who requires blood remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. He never, it never goes unheard with him. Be gracious to me, O Lord. Again, he continues, we talk about this often with David. Again, he's not asking for what he deserves. Be gracious to me, Lord. Extend grace to me. See my affliction from those who hate me. And by the way, he sees it all. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of your praises. That in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made. In the net which they hid, their own foot will be caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. In the work of his own hands, the wicked is snared. Notice that there's three times that's stated in verses 15 and 16. The nations, those that rise up, the evil nations. I mean, look at, and we can look throughout all of history, the evil nations that rise up when they come up, you know, the Third Reich and all of these things that when they rise up, notice they sunk down in the pits which they made. They thought that they were going to take over the world and rule it this way, but they, they're destroyed. They sink down in the pits which they made. The net which they hid, their own foot gets caught in. In the work of their own hand, the wicked is snared. But notice there in verse 16, the Lord has made himself known. He will execute judgment. God will see to it that they will end up in the own tra- their own trap that they have set for others. Now, that... Higion word that is there, that means to meditate. And like we've said, Selah means to just kind of take a, take a pause. Kind of, again, think about that for a second. That God is faithful, always. And no matter what evil seems to be rising and seems to be getting away and seems to be running unchecked, look throughout history and they always They always fall. Eventually, they always fail. God will see to that. The wicked will return to Sheol or to hell. Even all the nations who forget God. For the needy will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted perish forever. Now, the needy will not always be forgotten. That's kind of a, he's using the phraseology there. It's not mean like they're forgotten for a little bit, but then God goes, oh yeah, and goes back. Not, they're never forgotten. But there are times when we go through it, we'll see that in the, as he starts off the next psalm, where it feels like, God, did you forget about me? And what he's saying there is that time will, will, is, is short. That time will not go on forever, even that feeling, because he will make it known, obviously. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Verse 20, put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Again, there we come back to it. (laughs) What is man? We think we're at the top of it all. We've made it to the top of the heap. We're the king of the hill. No, Lord, remind them, you're the creator. You're almighty God. We're just man. We're just a speck on a speck in a speck. Psalm 10, as I mentioned, some believe that these are, are connected Kind of picking up again where there, why do you stand afar off, Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And he's going to spend the next several verses speaking of the, the wicked, 
those that, that, that do seem to run amok and, and get away with, with everything. This morning was reading uh, in Psalm 73, and again, that reminder that it's so easy for us to look around in the world and say, man, all of these evil people, they don't have a care in the world about God, and they just seem to be getting away with it. Here we see that same type of, of idea, but the Lord isn't standing afar off. He's not hiding himself. There are times when we're in the midst of trouble and that, that we're crying out to God and it feels like he's not there. But we know based on the promise of his word that he is. And we, we find ourselves asking that. I know I do. Why, Lord? Why is it in this moment when I feel like I need you the most that I feel you're the farthest away? And it's during those times I believe that it's his desire that we would just simply draw closer to him that we would find ourselves right at his feet and, and, and receiving everything that we need there. The enemy would like us to believe that it is that he's distanced himself, that he's pushed away, but don't believe that lie. But as I mentioned, now the verses, he turns toward the wicked. He says, in pride, and notice that is, that's, that's the key to all of this. We'll see it as it kind of works its way through. Pride. The, that's, the, that's the sin that got everything going in the beginning. That's, that's what caused Satan to fall and all of the other angels' pride. They wanted to be like God. And it's the same temptation that got Eve to bite in, no pun intended, that you could be like God. Pride. In pride, the wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. We just looked at that back in chapter 9. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked in his haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Foolishness. Foolishness that we could look around and say, there is no God. Again, we look at... That we just talked about the expanse of the universe. One of the things that's cool about living in the desert is, or close to the desert, you go out in the middle of the desert and you can see it all lit up. I, some friends of mine and I used to have a, a houseboat on Lake Powell that we had a timeshare on and we'd go out there once or twice a year. And I tell you what, you get out into the middle of Lake Powell, you get away from every other light source, you know, miles and miles and miles away. And we're on this houseboat on the lake and the stars and the moon are so lit up in the middle of the night reflecting off the water, you'd think it was the middle of the day. And you could just, it's just magnificent. Now, there's only... There's only a certain number of possibilities that it's always existed. It's always been there, but nobody believes that. Not even, not even no, no scientist worth anything believes it's always existed. So it either had to come from nothing, that makes sense, or it had to create itself, or someone or something had to create it. I mean, those are really the only three options if it hasn't always been there. But man, in our superior intelligence on top of the food chain, has said, you know what? If there's a God, I'm accountable to that God, so I don't want to admit that there's a God that created all of this, so it had to come from nothing. Or that it created itself. I mean, just, just insane. But here we see this, the pride, the boastfulness, the greed, the haughtiness, all their thoughts are there is no God. Because if there's a God, I'm accountable to that God. 
His way prospers at all times. Now that's not true. But again, when we look around sometimes, we can, get, we can buy into that deception, right? That man, they never seem to get bit by anything. Everything seems to be going well for them. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. They can't see they don't, that, that the Lord is, is over it all. As for all his adversaries, he snorts at them. He doesn't, doesn't pay any attention to them. He says to himself, I will not be moved. Throughout all generations, I will not be in adversity. Again, boastful pride. His mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. He sits in lurking places of the villages and the hiding places. He kills the innocent. His eyes are stealthily watch, stealthily watch for the unfortunate. He lurks in a hiding place as a lion in his lair. He lurks to catch the afflicted. He catches the afflicted when he draws him into his nets, taking advantage of of less fortunate people, just looking for ways that he can get over on people, even to the point of killing them as, he's at his, as it's showing there. He crouches, he bows down, and the unfortunate fall by his mighty ones. He says to himself, God is forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Again, pride, arrogance. And here's David's cry. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the afflicted. Why has the wicked spurned God? He has said to himself, I will not, you will not require it. He's telling himself that he, there's not a day of reckoning. He won't ever have to square up with his maker. You have seen it, for you have beheld mischief and vexation to take it into your hand. The unfortunate commits himself to you. You have been the helper of the orphan. So he's coming on behalf of those who are being taken advantage of by the others and he says, break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. That means render them harmless. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever, regardless of what the evil man might think. Nations have perished from this land. O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble or the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror. Again, the, the prayer there again is, Lord, intercede on behalf of those who can't help that themselves. Be the, be the help to the helpless, the, the, the father to the orphan. Psalm 11, for the choir director of Psalm of David, in the Lord... I take refuge. Now, he's, that, that statement in the beginning, again, here's, here's the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, the, calling on the name of, of the Lord. Again, our, our strength, our rock. He is my refuge. I will take refuge in him. Now, his response then is, because he's obviously getting advice from someone, and we don't know the background of this. Some of the Psalms, like we've said, we get a little background as to what's going on in David's life. We don't know here, but it would sure seem that he's being pursued. He's gotten a threat of some kind, um, some kind of tip that's coming that his, his life's in danger, because he's saying, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow and, and make ready their arrow on a string to shoot in the darkness at the upright in heart. And if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? They're saying, they're looking at the situation. David, we got this news. This is what's coming. You got to run. You got to hide. And David is saying, why are you telling me to do that? 
I take refuge in the Lord. He's my protection. He is my strength. The, those that given him the advice, they're looking horizontally. They're looking at the circumstances around. David's looking vertically and he's saying, I'm trusting the Lord. I am following after the Lord. Notice, looking up, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Again, always remember that. <laughs> No matter what it is, no matter what we face, no matter what it's going on, no matter what's going on in our country. It talked in the verses in verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, we see that, don't we? The foundations that our, our very country was built on are being eroded away. And, and those that are the cause of that, those that are behind that, think that you can take the foundation and not affect the structure that's built on it. And we see it, you know, coming around. But, but we need, and whenever that's going on, we just need to look up and say, you know what? The Lord is still on his throne. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the son of man. And I, when I looked that up, his eyes behold, he sees everything. But when it says his eyelids test, it's like when, he's, when, you, when you really want to see something, you, you squint, right? You know, and that's what that kind of idea where through the eyelids, the scrutiny that, with which he's looking. Nothing in all creation is hidden from his sight. Nothing. We, it, 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 nothing goes past him. He knows everything that's going on. Everything is revealed to him. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. And the, loved, the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked, he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. Again, we, we see all of this stuff that is going on all around us. The, the, our, our country and, and everything. And it's it's. It's a great, country, a great country. All the things that are wrong with the United States right now, it's still the best thing going. But we, it, it, it grieves us as Christians when we see these things that are happening. And, and we need to understand that, again, our God is in control. He, he, has, he has not relinquished his throne. And he has an eternal purpose in mind. It doesn't matter what the world says their plans are. His plan trumps all of that. His, his plans, his purposes, his power. And we just simply need to be obedient in following after him. I've, I've mentioned this many times, and it's just because it's something I'm really I, passionate about. Legislation isn't going to change what's wrong with our country. Passing laws isn't going to change what's wrong with our country. The only thing that's going to fix our country is Jesus. When we, when we share the gospel with people and people get born again and revival spreads, that's what's going to change our country. That's the foundation. I don't care what anybody tries to tell you. That's the foundation our country was built on. And that, that's been, again, everywhere we go, that's the, trying to erode that. It's trying to pull it away. It's trying to, and, and if we're not careful... We can be like the, the, the ones in verses two and three because I get emails and I've, I've, I actually changed my, one of my email accounts because I got tired of getting them from Christians talking about, oh, you know, we got to run, we got to do this, we got to hide, we got to, you know, blah, 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 you know, all this kind of stuff. No, we don't. We got to look up. We need, our help comes from the Lord. That's, you know, that, that we, need, we need to go to him and then we need to tell the world. We don't have a whole lot of time left. But it's not a political thing. It's a spiritual thing. And it's just a matter of, of revival. Look again as it finishes up. 
For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. Guys, one day, one day, we're going to look him face to face. If we keep following, following after him. Well, let's stop there. I don't think we have time to jump into 12. We'll pick that up. We'll pick up there next time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the living word. And as we looked at tonight, the amazing thing is though we are just a a tiny little speck, Lord, you, your love and your thoughts toward us are immeasurable and undescribable. Lord, we thank you for that love. And Lord, my prayer is for anybody here tonight or anybody watching online who who is doubting that love, is going through a situation, a difficulty, a trial, and, and wondering where you are, why it is that, you've, that, you've, that you're standing away or, or that you're hiding yourself, Lord, would you just again reveal to them how much you mean to them, the fact that you would step off your throne in heaven, that you would become one of us, that you would expose yourself to everything that we endure, that you would do it without sin and that you would take your sinless life and exchange it on the cross for our sin-filled life so that we can know that you love us, so that we can know that we have eternal life. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.